You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. I'm the Rangers digital and in-game host, Hannah Wing, joined by my good friend and fellow USC Trojan, Jared Sandler. Welcome to the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. We have a really, really fun episode for you guys featuring former Rangers shortstop and actor extraordinaire Kevin Elster. But first things first, Jared, how are you? Hannah, uh, excited to be chatting with you. How are you? It's going to be a great episode. I'm great. Today is actually National Slurpee Day, so it's 7-Eleven Day. Um, We're starting off the Oakland series, the first of three games against them during this 10-game homestand. Uh, You know, took two or three from the Twins. That was a fun series. Um, And Martin Perez is going to the All-Star game. Yeah, it's really neat. And we'll get into that here in a second. He's one of, uh, you know, a a few veterans who I think have have really impacted this pitching staff, not just the rotation, but pitching staff. Another one, like Martin, also used to pitch for the Boston Red Sox. That's Garrett Richards. (laughs) What a transition. So before we – Fully dive into Martin and also a, a, an all-star disappointment, and I, I feel strongly about uh, my campaign for uh, Jonah Heim. Uh, I understand that our our fun fact here of the uh, of the episode revolves around uh, Mr. Garrett Richards. Yes, that is correct. So for those of you listening for the first time, I've made it a big promise to all of our listeners to get a non-baseball related fun fact about a player. So this week, uh, we have Garrett Richards on deck. So Garrett Richards, uh, believe it or not, and I don't think anyone would probably assume this about him, um, he ate frozen french fries as a kid up until about middle school. So I asked him if he would heat them up. He said no, he just ate straight frozen crinkle-cut french fries um, throughout his childhood and middle school. I didn't even know if that was safe. Um, that's certainly disgusting. I don't think I would recommend it, no. but I asked him what his fun fact was, and that was exactly what he told so me. That, so that's interesting because he's very big in the culinary arts. Yes, uh, I think he at one point uh, either thought about going to culinary school or maybe audited some classes. But like he, he does love food and loves cooking, uh, and I don't know if he was just ahead of his time and still would be ahead of his time because that's not something that I think people really do with the frozen fries, but that's good to know. Yeah, um, exactly. It's a frozen fun fact, I guess. The frozen um, fun it's fact, something like that, it. you know, we had Marcus Simeon last episode talk about basketball. This I just didn't really see coming, but I'm kind of glad that, you know, he put it out in the universe and now everybody can know about it. I'm going to have to ask him to explain further on that. Uh a little disturbing to be honest just with you. a smidge but at least they were crinkle cut and crinkle cuts the best so like if you would say like cold old fries i i guess i would I, I i'm not a fan of those particularly but i guess i i could see it you know people like cold pizza or cold this or that, but frozen that's is there even a taste I have no idea, but I will out myself right now. I used to eat um I'm gluten free now but I wasn't growing up obviously because I didn't know I had celiac I would go into my parents' freezer and eat the little mini frozen pancakes, and I would eat those frozen too. So it makes Garrett feel better. I was also eating eating frozen food at one point in my life. Um, I don't really know where I'm going with this, but just the whole frozen food fun fact thing. It's really interesting. I guess I shouldn't judge. I mean, we've talked on this this podcast before. I love frozen grapes uh, and, and other frozen fruits. I feel like that's normal, though. Yeah, but I guess my point is, like, I wonder... I mean, if you got a good little frozen buttermilk pancake, maybe it still has some of the taste. I, I guess it must have if you yeah, would have. Don't knock until you try it, Jared. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, it's it's certainly been great having Garrett Richards around. He's a, a, a unique, I guess. Yes. <laughs> no, definitely <laughs> unique, but but certainly a He's fun great. person uh, and has been really good for this team. And uh, he is a, a former Boston Red Sox pitcher. The Rangers, of course, had Martin Perez Initially, he was a, a ranger to start, but then went to the Twins and then went to the Red Sox, was a, a teammate of Garrett Richards with Boston and now back with the Rangers and is going to be representing the organization as its lone all-star. I just want to get this out of the way before we get to Martin. Uh, I'm very disappointed that Jonah Heim's not a, a part of the American League all-star roster. Um, you know, it, it's it's one thing for a guy uh, who has made it before, 
and will likely make it again if they miss out on a year like Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers might have been snubbed. And and this is not to say that Jonah could not make it in subsequent years. Maybe we look five years from now and – uh, with this year, you know, being a year in which he didn't make the All Star team, maybe we're identifying him as a four time All Star. I, I, I don't know, but you know, this was a chance for his first, and you know that the the first or the next isn't always promised. And uh, when you make an All Star team, you are forever an All Star, right? You know, you will forever be identified the rest of your career. You could retire uh, the next day, but you will always be introduced as All Star catcher Jonah Hunt. What you know, whatever, and. I just thought if you look at the numbers, uh, to me it was pretty clear he deserved to be there. Uh, they only carried two catchers, and so many people, myself included, are thrilled that Jose Trevino is, is an all-star. Absolutely. He is so deserving. Yeah. He is a wonderful human being. We are so, like The entire Rangers organization yeah. is truly so happy yeah. for him. I, I guess I, I – and I had a chance to speak to Jose today, actually, and he was disappointed that they didn't carry three catchers because uh, he wanted to see Jonah there. And – you know, I, I don't know that this is the form to get into, you know, since they only carried two and Alejandro Kirk was voted as the starter who should have been there and who shouldn't have between Jonah and Jose. But uh, uh, I just I think they should have carried three and, and would have been great for Jose and Jonah to both be there. Uh, now, with that said, last year I thought it was really neat that the Rangers three All-Stars all had stories attached to it that made it even more special. Again, it's not like the Rangers had a guy who was making his 10th All-Star game appearance. You know, and not that it, I don't want to speak for those guys, maybe they still enjoy it, but it's probably not as special to them as it might be for someone who's making their first. And last year, Joey Gallo made his second, but, you know, he was really set out to prove that uh, 2019, in which he made his first, was not a fluke. That meant so much to him. And definitely becoming a two-time All-Star, I think, was a little validation. And and obviously, Joey's having a tough year and, and certainly hope he turns it around Adolis Garcia, uh, an, an old rookie, uh, you know, was DFA'd in February of, of 2021, and he makes the All-Star team in Kyle Gibson, a, a veteran who's so respected and loved around Major League Baseball, but never really had uh, an All-Star type season. It wasn't like he had just missed out uh, a lot, but for him to emerge, that was neat. And so it's the same for Martin Perez this year. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about Martin on this podcast, and – you know, his journey is is interesting in that, you know, he developed much later. Uh, this this all-star year is is one that is happening for the first time much later than uh, your typical player. Uh, they typically, you know, it wasn't like people thought, oh, yeah, good year, things go Martin's way, could be an all-star. No, the, the conversation when the Rangers signed him just based on his career and his track record was, he'll eat some innings and, and maybe he gets pushed out of the rotation later in the year if some of the young guys – deserve it well it, it was never hey uh things break his way he could be an all-star yet he was a no-brainer and uh it's been really neat to to watch him this year to have seen him go through some of the the challenges he went through with the rangers first time around and to see where he is now and how he's he's matured um you know, he got engaged. I was the, just going to say, before. he put a ring on it. What yeah, an amazing yeah. weekend for Martin. Yeah. Saturday night gets engaged. Sunday morning finds out he's an all-star. I mean, that's going to be hard to beat. Yeah. I, I just, it's special. And, and it goes back to what we said about, you know, Jonah. And, and you you are forever an all-star. Martin Perez, forever an all-star. And uh, he deserves it. And I'm super, super thrilled for him and excited that he's uh, going to get a chance to represent the Rangers. He has made so many contributions this year on and off the field. I mean, obviously, our, the Rangers rotation this year is extremely young. And I think that he's taught them so many lessons on and off the field, how to carry themselves, how to respond when things aren't going your way. And I mean, obviously, his numbers are great. His ERA has been extremely low all season long, which you love to see. Um, but he's just been awesome to watch this year. Obviously, he struggled a little bit this past weekend against Minnesota, but I think that, you know, he'll turn that around quickly. He has one more start ahead of the All-Star game. So I'm just excited for him and this opportunity and this next chapter of his life. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I'd say quickly on that start against Minnesota, uh, he had one inning, he gave up the six runs, and sometimes pitchers, when that happens, it just snowballs, and it it doesn't get better. Uh, But he came back out and gave the team two scoreless innings after that, and the Rangers won that game. And I think one thing that's that's super important about what Martin's done 
you know, the Rangers rotation has kind of been, you know, Martin Perez, John Gray, Dane Dunning, and then TBD. not really sure. Yeah, and, and so when that's the case, it puts even more pressure on the guys who are not the TBDs. And, and, and Glenn Otto's been in the rotation but had COVID and missed some time. And, but there's been a lot of pressure on Martin Perez and John Gray to, to not just pitch well but to make sure that the team wins those games. And uh, the Rangers have, have done an exceptional job of taking advantage of uh, the performances of Gray and Martin here recently. Uh, and in that game Saturday, they kind of picked Martin up. But, you know, he he was a part of it, though, because of the way he responded after giving up those six runs, and, and that was really important. So to everybody listening, be sure to tune in on all of the Rangers' social media channels for all of the awesome upcoming draft content and Martin at the All-Star Game content as well. That is at Rangers on all forms of social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you name it, it's there. So be sure to follow for some fun updates. I'm excited to see Martin perform and do his thing out in L.A. Yeah, no no question about it. And uh, um, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe one of these days we'll have to take the Straight Up Texas podcast to the All-Star Game. Road trip. I would love it. Just sit down with all the All-Stars. I love it. That would be really fun. We can ask them their favorite Whataburger orders and, and 1, take a tally percent. to see, like, and we could, like, really, you know, I'm like a stats person. We could break it down, like, in-state, out-of-state, you know, what the trends are. We can, you know, we can we can really dig deep. I know I'll do the digging. You know, we can ask the questions, and I'll come up with all the, the analytics behind Perfect. It. That sounds great. Well, I know that um, this is obviously the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. We've already talked about French fries, uh, frozen French fries, that is. But what is your go-to Whataburger order? Like, what sauces are you dipping your French fries in? What do you order when you go? Like, what is Jared Sandler's Whataburger order? Yeah. Uh, quick shout-out, by the way. Corey Seager, American League Player of the Week. Oh, yes. We got to mention that. That's yeah, yeah. more no, important that's, than frozen no, no, French fries. No, 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 no. That's, yes, that's my fault for not bringing that up earlier. Uh, this just we'll, in. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about Corey in subsequent episodes, I'm sure. But, uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a breakfast at all times a day guy. So, I'm just going to. I don't understand. I'm, I'm surprised we haven't had as many people list the honey butter chicken biscuit as their go-to. The taquitos are great. Um, but I, I don't know. I think I, I'm just going to – the OG for me, my, my introduction to Whataburger was the honey butter chicken biscuit. So I think I have to at least give it some love. Love that. Happy for you. Well, Thank I want to shift big moment. It was a big moment for me when I was introduced to it. I, I'll tell you that. I bet. I wish they made gluten-free biscuits I know, so I could have I'm them I'm sorry. Too. I was going to so. ask you, you know, when the last time you had one was, but I thought better of it. It's okay. It happens. I love their French fries. I love their milkshakes. So I still get to go to Whataburger and enjoy. I just can't have anything that's breaded. So it happens. Um, but I do want to shift gears, Jared. Um, this is something that actually just happened yesterday. Um, I know that the Straight Up Texas podcast is typically really fun and upbeat and energetic and you know, obviously today is a much different look and feel um, to the Rangers organization and just the DFW sports community as a whole. So I just wanted to open up the floor to you and just to kind of share any thoughts or feelings that you have right now. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so yesterday we lost uh, our engineer, Ted Nichols Payne. Uh, he uh, he uh, had engineered Rangers baseball and, and Cowboys football and uh, a lot of broadcasts that you, you might not even realize uh, for for more than three decades, uh, and um, you know the I think people are obviously familiar with Eric and Matt and and me because we're the ones on air and and you know Ted I, I maybe once a year would pop his mic on and say something. Usually we were having a, you know we'd be having a music discussion and he would just give us the answer to to an artist or a song that just was on the tip of our tongue but we couldn't quite think the name of whatever the case was. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, a lot of the, the people who listen to our broadcast are familiar with his name. First of all, Ted Nichols Payne is not, you know, your run-of-the-mill Bob Smith or anything, so it stands out. But, uh, you know, it always, of course, in, in the intros and outros and, and throughout the game, uh, just reset things. And, um, you know, Ted Nichols Payne, our engineer, alongside Matt Hicks and Eric Nadell, Jared Sandler, happy to be with you. Um you know, whatever the case might be, uh, and we lost Ted yesterday, and it was uh, it was unexpected. Um, he was not, you know, fighting uh, a, a condition where you know the the end of the road was uh, something we were all preparing for. Um, he uh, was actually 
in the parking lot across the street, uh, as has been shared, and was found unresponsive. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the Arlington Fire Department and, and the, the medical team and Arlington Memorial Hospital, which is uh, where he was uh, transferred to, uh, despite their efforts, uh, they weren't able to bring him back. And it was a, a really tough day for us. Uh, I got a call at noon from, from Matt Hicks. Eric is, you know, people who've been listening probably know he's, he's been out of town in Colorado, enjoying some, some well-deserved time off. So I got a call at noon from Matt, first pitch at 135. And he was asking, you know, where, where's Ted and, um, you know, it, everyone, you know, everyone, there's not like a set call time where you have to be there. It's just, uh, make sure you're there to handle your stuff. And, but 90 minutes before first pitch was, you know, out of the range of, Hey, I'm just running a few minutes late. Uh, had he been running that late, we would have heard from him. And so when Matt said that, you know, he couldn't find Ted cause I had been on the field doing some stuff and I was unaware he wasn't here yet. Uh, it was a uh, not a good feeling, uh, and then I think Matt had tried to call Ted, uh, no answer. When I called though, the Arlington Fire Department or, or a gentleman from the Arlington Fire Department answered, and that was obviously not a good sign. Uh, and so yesterday's broadcast was really tough. Um, the Rangers lost, I, I guess. Um, I mean, I, I do know that, but I, I. I can't really tell you that I remember a whole lot about the game. Uh, and we found out early on in the game that unfortunately it passed. And anyway, I guess I'm rambling. Um, Ted Nichols pain was a huge part of, of Rangers baseball. Uh, you know, we've always said that we feel like, you know, we have one of the, the best broadcasts in the league with, you know, one of the, the best broadcasters in all sports and, and Eric Nadell and, and Matt's, you know, amazing in his own right. Uh, probably doesn't get the credit he deserves, just, you know, being an Eric shadow to some degree, at, at no fault of Eric's, of course. Um, but a part of what made our broadcast and has made our broadcast so good for so many years is Ted. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know that I can adequately explain the role of the engineer uh, and why he made such a, a difference. It's not just someone who shows up and presses buttons. Um, he cared so much about the job. It's a very easy job to just sit back and kick your feet up. Uh, and that was never his style. He would sometimes take a nap in the fifth inning of a long game, but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, and the response that I noticed on social media platforms yesterday uh, was, was really, it was really neat. Um, and I hope that I hope that Ted knew how loved he was, uh, which was certainly indicated by people's support uh, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and on the news and all that stuff. Um, you know, he he had two teams, three teams, you know, the Rangers, the Cowboys, and in general, Odyssey, the, uh, the, the radio station uh, that carries both of those games. Um, you know, formerly CBS Radio, but he really kind of transcended that. Um, you know, he invariably worked with just about everyone who's broadcasted sports here in the area. Uh, and if he hasn't worked with them, he's been around them. He's probably helped them, certainly helped engineers around Major League Baseball. When we say that, you know, he's one of the best in the business, that's not just some platitude after someone passed. I mean, that's that's something that's been a common refrain for, for years. Uh and I just, I remember meeting Ted and being intimidated because he had a ponytail, and <laughs> I don't know why, he just seemed intimidating. Uh, but he's the, he's the sweetest person. Um, I'm so thankful that I got to spend the last eight years with him, basically every day from... mid-February through the end of the season. I'm going to miss him a lot. 
That was beautifully said, Jared. I know that his family is going through so much and that he was so loved by thousands and hundreds and all these people in the DFW area. And I know that, you know, he's made such an impact on you. And, you know, everyone is just thinking of his family during this time, especially since it was so sudden. Do you know of any ways that our listeners can help his family during this time? Yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, his his ex-wife, Jennifer, who is the Nichols and Nichols Payne, Ted, uh, took on his his wife's name. Uh, Ted's name was Ted Payne. Uh, and he married his, his now ex-wife uh, of, of several years, Jennifer. And so he, instead of being Ted Payne, he was Ted Nichols Payne. Uh, she was Jennifer Nichols. Um, I had maybe weird for me to share. My parents are divorced. Uh, they can now be in the same room. Uh, that was, there was a time that was not the case. Uh, Ted and Jennifer have been divorced for several years, but they had such a really you know neat, special relationship and friendship. Uh, and so thinking about her, uh, Ted's girlfriend, Katie, and, and his three daughters, uh, Annika, Zoe, and Emma, uh, who I know I said earlier, I, I hope Ted knew how loved he was, um, definitely takes solace in, in the fact I know that those, those girls knew how much he loved them uh, just from the interactions. Uh, I'd, I'd sorry. I don't know. I don't know the answer, uh, at this time. Um, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of stuff on social media, you know, for arrangements and stuff of that nature. But, uh, uh, I appreciate you asking that. I, I, I wish I had a, a better answer this time. I, I, I don't. That's okay. If we find anything online too, we'll be sure to, um, include that yeah. in the podcast description for this episode as well. Yeah. And I think that we should dedicate, since this is obviously our final episode or one of our final episodes before the all-star break, and um, that we should dedicate the rest of the podcast season to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's, he's going to be on our minds for a long time. Uh, and, uh, you know, Ranger, I just, I just hope people know that, you know, over the last 30 years when they've listened to Rangers baseball, they, they think they've been listening to Eric and, and Matt and, and Vince Catronio and Scott Fransky and, and just all the different, Mark Holtz, of course, and, and the various voices, but they've also been listening to Ted and his work, and uh, he's been a really big part of it. Well, thank you so much for sharing such a beautiful tribute. I know that this is so fresh and so raw and, you know, something that just happened yesterday. So thank you for being so vulnerable and open. Yeah. Um, and we'll continue to keep his family and his girlfriend in our thoughts and prayers. Um, we'll be back with former Rangers shortstop Kevin Elster after the break. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. When you're craving a bigger, better burger, you know where to go. Whataburger. And if you go right now, you can treat yourself to the all-new Bacon Blue Cheeseburger. Two all-beef patties with crispy bacon, grilled onions, blue cheese crumbles, and peppercorn ranch. So, what are you waiting for? Available for a limited time at participating locations. We are back and so excited to be joined by the Rangers shortstop, Sporting News Comeback Player of the Year, the Rangers record holder for the most homers and RBIs from a nine-hole hitter, Kevin Elster. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. How's it going? Oh, well, my pleasure. Yes, it's going great. This is our first, my first trip back to Texas in, gosh, I'd say three or four years, and um, I think they brought the heat with us, but uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really great to be back here. You know, some great memories here for sure. Absolutely. You were at the game last night with some of your former teammates. How is it being back with everybody again? Well, you know, it's like, you know, we didn't miss a beat, right? We, we feel like uh, family members, and which we were. 
And, um, you know, it was just, I can't even explain how great it was to see those guys. Like, you know, like no time has really passed actually. But we were, we were amazed at, um, you know, the new ballpark and, and, and the difference between the new one and the, and the one we played in. And, um, you mean, gosh, these players, they have it so good now, right? With the air conditioning and the AstroTurf and all that. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's amazing the difference. Uh, since, I guess it's been 25, 26 years now. Kevin, um, the, the, the difference in, 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 the, in the game now. Kevin, I grew up, I mean, those 90s Rangers teams were the teams that introduced me to baseball as a kid growing up in the Metroplex. And that 96 team, I, I, I wasn't old enough to have, like, distinct memories from start to finish, but definitely remember various moments throughout. And so I always ask people about that team or, or, or those teams from just that you know, that, that time frame. And one of the things that everyone says about the 96 team was just how close everyone was. And I feel like that's something that it's easy to say. And, and maybe people like to project that on teams. Cause we all want to think that, you know, our, our favorite teams are all best friends and whatnot. But it, like when I, when I come back with that, everyone says, no, 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 but that group was really, really close. And, and you mentioned a second ago, it's just like seeing family again. I, what was it about that particular team and that group that allowed you guys to bond so well together? You know, it, it's, it's one of those things, honestly, you can't put your finger on, right? It's kind of like chemistry, like maybe in a relationship or anything else, right? Um, no one can really quite grasp it, but we certainly had it, right? It's called chemistry, and we certainly had it. You know, and teams, you know, you could you could get you could put together an all-star team, right? And like the best players in the league and put them on one team and have them play an entire season and they might not win. Right. It's because they don't fit with each other. Um, you know what I mean? So like if you get a group of guys that necess- aren't necessarily super talented in, in every, like at every position as, as compared to other players around the league, and if they don't mesh, they're not going to win. Right. You got to, you got to play 162 games. You got to go to hotels together. You got to eat together. You got to do all these things together. And if you don't like each other, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to win. Right. And, and that, that combined, you know, with the fan base here, right. We, we, um, it was like kind of, kind of like a love affair during that, that particular season. We all knew that, uh, that, that the Rangers had never won. We'd never won. Uh, you never been to the playoffs, never won a division, even going back to the, when they were the Washington Senators. So we felt the weight of that. Right. And um, so we knew it was going to be something special if we just stayed together. And boy, did we ever! And it was a, it was a long, fun journey that summer. It was hot. It was kind of like this summer, right? <laughs> hot. It was like 105 every day. I remember that. And um, and it was a, like by the time August and September rolled around, we were, God, we were beat and we were worn down. But we we, we made it through. And um, you know, it was just so satisfying. It was just a, it was just a great love affair with uh, the fans here and, and you know just a great time in my life I know we want to get into you know it being the first time and how special that was and then your season which was remarkable but just one last question on the chemistry I, I I'm what? curious what was your like every every clubhouse guys kind of fit different roles not necessarily on the field but but in the clubhouse you got your your jokesters you got the the quiet follow me guys. You got the, you know, I'm going to make the speech and everyone's going to listen. Cause I got the respect of the room guy. And so who are the guys who are really important to, to uh, keeping things going off the field? And, and maybe what was your role in that clubhouse as a, a guy who'd been around, but you know, maybe not been with the organization forever, but someone who had some, some skins on the wall in, in his career. Yeah. Well, I was the, I was the, you know, I was the guy that was loose, right. And, you know, I, they came to me, um, if they wanted to have a drink or want to hang out, you know, I was, I was, I was the guy that was the laid, yeah, the laid back California guy that, uh, nothing, you know, no pressure got to me and it didn't really, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I kind of played carefree. Right. And of course we had, we had the guys, the, the we had, we did a panel last night with, uh, it was me, Dave Valley, uh, Bert, John Burkett, Mickey Peddleton, um, Bobby Witt and, and, uh, and Mark McLemore. And we were kind of talking about this and, um, Dave Valley brought up the fact that, you know, he didn't play hardly at all. Right. Cause they had Pudge. Pudge played damn near every game, which is unheard <laughs> of, right? Or catcher. Right. And, and Valley just, you know, he kind of was long for the ride, as you said, but he was such an important part to that team. Right. Even though he didn't play, but you know, maybe a handful of games the entire year, he was such a leader in that clubhouse, and he was even mentioning last night that he um, felt like he was put on this earth for that one baseball season because it was his favorite season ever, too. 
So um, things like that, right? So we had him and we had me. We had Matt. Remember, we had guys like Will Clark, who was um, <laughs> he was the jokester, right? And Bobby Witt was the jokester. Bobby Witt could throw his voice. I was telling my girl, my, my fiance, I should say, last night that he could throw his voice. And and that was the funniest thing I ever saw in my life. We'd get out in the, in the dugouts in these, these big fields before the fans came in. He would start throwing his voice. And these ushers completely across the stadium would think someone was standing next to him talking to him. So we had people <laughs> like that. It, it was incredible, right? So we, we just had a cast of characters, and we enjoyed being around each other. We'd sit around after the games in our uniforms for like an hour or two and just talk, have a beer, just BS about the game. That's, uh, and that was the difference between this team and other teams that I've been on for sure. You just mentioned that roundtable panel from yesterday with your former teammates. Yeah. I'm sure that there were so many fun stories and memories that were shared. We could probably go on for hours and hours about that 96 team. But as of yesterday, right. which story that was shared really resonated with you the most? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Well, honestly, it was probably the, the, the speech that Dave Valley had given us. Uh, we, 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 we went into it yesterday during the panel. But, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, there was, there was a time late in the season where we, we were, worn, you know, it was rough. We were worn out. We, we had led the entire year. It's tough to, to wire the field, right? It's tough to be in the lead the entire time because everybody's chasing. you got the, get the bullseye on your back, right? And we, I think we had a nine, eight or nine-game lead there in, um, in August, September. And we were, we were worn down, right? We, it was the same guys were throwing out there every day. You know, um, it was, the heat had gotten to us. The pressure was starting to get to us a little bit. Um, even our manager snapped on us. And did you like Johnny Oates? I remember he was, he's the most calm, even-tempered guy I'd been around in my life. And all of a sudden, one day, we, after a bad loss we had in Detroit, and if you've ever been to Detroit, that old ballpark, the, uh, the clubhouse is no bigger than a living room, right, for all 25 guys and coaching staff. So it's really small. And there was like metal folding chairs. And I just remember that a couple of those being thrown entirely across the room by John Goat. <laughs> I mean, one of them, I think, grazed my leg. I thought lawsuit right away, right? <laughs> but, but he, you know, he snapped. He threw the food table, food went everywhere. And, and that just, it shocked everybody. And um, the next day, Dave Valley uh, put together his kind of famous meeting where he, he spoke from his heart at everybody there. He made everybody recommit to the rest of the season, which is only about five or six weeks left. And we did, and it kind of re-energized everybody. So I think that was kind of a defining moment when Dave Valley put together that meeting, and we all just um, we kind of had a heart-to-heart right there in the clubhouse uh, before the, the following game. And um, from there. You've mentioned the heat several times, and the fact that it's 105 today and this whole weekend, for example, and you know, just comparing that to when you were all playing – I mean, I complained walking from my car in the parking lot to the ballpark, so right. I can't even imagine trying to play nine innings of baseball in this. How did you prepare to play in that extreme heat back in the 90s? Well, it didn't bother me. You know, the heat didn't bother me. I, for whatever reason, it never bothered me. But, you know, we didn't play day games, right? Um, they were all, you know, even on Sundays, getaway days, whatever, there was no day games. So it was a little bit cooler, right? We'd start, start against the 7 o'clock. But, you know, we, we kind of battled out. We never, we never took batting practice out in the field, and if we did, the guys that hit in their group would just hit, and then they would come back in, right? Didn't have to stay out and shag, shag the balls or anything like that. I always hit underground. We had a we had a batting cage underground in the air conditioning, so I, that's why I always took my batting practice. I'd go out and take some ground balls, you know, but that'd be about it. I, I wouldn't – in other words, I'd save myself. We all saved ourselves. We wouldn't sit out in that heat during the daytime. Um, nowadays, these guys got the, the, you know, air conditioning, so it shouldn't <laughs> be any problem for them, right? Um but, yeah, but for us, it wears, it does. It wears you down. Like I said, that, that 96 summer was, was much like what they're having right now, right? Kevin, that, that season was, and you kind of alluded to, you know, it being Dave Valley's favorite season. And, and I think, uh, you know, you've said publicly that that was maybe more special than your first year in, in 86 with the Mets, uh, which was right. obviously a special year for that organization. But just for you individually, I mean, obviously, you have the team component. Uh, there was there was success that this organization had not experienced that year. But for you, uh, in 1996, 24 homers, 99 RBIs. I mean, you were not just a, a, a part of this unbelievable lineup. You were a big part of this lineup and, you know, right. probably represented one reason why it was so tough because you were there at the bottom of the order and presented a major threat. You didn't allow pitchers to take their foot off the pedal. But what was... What clicked for you that year, and what was it like for you having that type of a season 
uh, that level of production for that good of a team? You know, I knew I, I've always known I had it in me um, to, to be a force offensively. You know, I was always a very competitive. But when I got to New York, when they first came up, you know, they some might even say they brought me up too soon. But they needed my glove, right? The Mets needed my glove. I, I was the best fielder out there, right? So they, they, so they brought me up early. And when I got to New York, I didn't really know I'd hit big league pitching. But they didn't care. They said, you know, listen, we just all you have to do is field the ball for. We, we don't care. We have a lineup. We don't, we don't need you to hit. And, um, and, and plus, you know, when, when you're hitting eighth in the National League, you get the pitcher hitting behind you, you're not going to get anything to hit, right? So, so it was a learning process for me to, to hit. So, I, and I didn't really concentrate on hitting that much. You know, I concentrated on my glove. And that's what kept me in the big leagues, of course. And when I got here, you know, I'd gone through some in, injuries, right? I had a couple shoulder surgeries, and I was just kind of ham and egging it for a couple of years there, right? I, I couldn't couldn't really throw the ball. I wasn't healthy, even missed a year, and um, which is the year I did little big league, right? And then I came here, and I was finally healthy, and I had something to prove, right? I had a chip on my shoulder. And hitting the ninth spot in, in the American League is a joy, right? You got the entire front of the lineup behind you. You know what I'm saying? So I, I viewed it as a huge opportunity. And I got plenty of pitches to hit, obviously, right? And I took advantage of it. I, and I felt strong. And, um, and, it, and I just I got on a roll that I never – like the whole team did, right? And we never got off it the entire year. It was, just, it was, absolute, it was an absolute blast. And then you mentioned the the – fact that this was the first time the Rangers had made the playoffs and, and again not just going back to 72 but their version right. of the Senators before and, and I've, I've always believed as a sports fan uh, that the first time is is incredibly special uh, and you know you, you'll never like when the Rangers went to the World Series in 2010 that will right. always represent something special and then when they you know, hopefully one of these days win the first World Series in franchise history. That one will always be a little more special than any subsequent World Series win. So, Absolutely. And, and, and the fans feel it, and I'm sure you guys felt the energy. So you, you mentioned it earlier. You kind of touched on it. But I, I guess from your perspective, uh, how much more did it add to the joy of that year, knowing that everyone, uh, you know, from an organization standpoint and a fan base standpoint, was experiencing this run for the very first time? Well, that's, that's, that's what made it. I mean, that's exactly it. That's what made it special. The fact that it was the first time we, they, they'd come close, but it never broken through, you know, and boy, we felt the heat of that, right? We felt because the writers, you know, every day, everybody was very suspect about us winning it and actually doing it. And so we, we felt that weight, right? I felt it. I know the rest of my team did weight of, of not winning, right? The, the, you know, there was, like I said, it was written about every single day, you know, can we do it? So, you know, it was such a huge motivating factor for us. And, um, you know, when we finally, I mean, we finally won it, it was such, you know, it was just such joy. Right. And I, we felt throughout the entire community, the entire Metroplex, you know, it was, um, it was, like I said, it was more special than winning in New York, even though that was amazing. Right. Um, but New York was used to winners, right. Even though, you know, the Mets had already won, they won in 1969. Um, even though our year was very, you know, very legendary and special in '86, um, I, you know, this, this, to me was the, you know, didn't compare, right? This was much better winning here. I just love your story. I think it's so fascinating that the Rangers signed you in '96. Uh, Benji Gill hurts his back. They pick you up, and then your comeback player of the year. What did you learn about yourself in that season? I, well, everything, right? I learned that. You know, I belonged. I mean, I like I truly was a force in this league, rather than just a great fielder who can who would have a great, you know, I'd have a really long good career. But I, I learned that I was a force that can actually um, make a difference offensively, right? Um, and that, you know, that's it's super satisfying, right? You you play your whole life to, to feel like that. And um, you know, had I not had years like that I had here, you know, I, you know, I would have felt, you know, I had a good career, but it wouldn't have been as, as satisfying as it was that I did have that year. You know what I mean? Well, I, I guess, especially because you guys came so close when you played for the Minnesota twins. Uh, unfortunately, Ken Griffey <laughs> jr. Just took a, a home run away from Lou Collins, uh, the Metrodome, right. you know, you had to come back and, and prove yourself with a different organization. And of course, I'm, I'm referencing the movie, little big sure. league. And uh, I, you know, Hannah, when, 
you know, we found out we were going to get to talk with Kevin. I mean, the first thing I said to you was you got to go see Little Big League if you haven't already. And I, I love, I'm a sucker for sports movies and right. you know, I've seen, I think as I've gotten older, I probably appreciate major league more uh, than I did when I was five, six, seven <laughs> years old, maybe not getting everything. Uh, but I, I really think that if it's not, I mean, if it's not major league and I really don't think it is, I think I've seen little big league more than any other movie. And for me, it was so cool because a guy on my favorite team was in the movie and that was you playing the role of Pat Corning, Ken Griffey right. Jr. Who was probably every kid my age's favorite player, or if not favorite, one of your favorite, you know, favorite players was in there and he was so cool. And he, he winked at you rounding the bases and then you got him back with the hidden ball trick <laughs> later on. But like, Ken Griffey Jr. was just so cool in that movie. And then you saw Pudge and then Mickey Tettleton, who was with the Tigers in that movie. You ended up playing with him, and actually you caught his first pitch uh, in the game on Friday night against the Twins. But, uh, you know, it just – I don't know. And then the aspect of the kid, Billy Haywood, you know, like, you know, you know it's not real, but I was a kid. You hope it is, Yeah, maybe maybe I can manage a team. So I guess – want to talk about that movie let's go to the very beginning how the heck did you get involved in that i know so i was i was in spring training with the dodgers that year before we did the movie and my i was trying to come back from shoulder surgery um and my shoulder just hadn't healed yet i I was you know i just couldn't get the ball you know just didn't make this club right so i i actually went and played in a couple minor league games after spring training it ended and I just said, you know, I'm, I can't do it. I'm, I, I still need another six months for this shoulder to heal. And so they gave me my release. Um, but during that time, you know, the press in L.A. was picking up that, you know, they were writing about me. And there was a Hollywood agent reading about that and saw that the, the Dodgers had released me and that I wasn't doing anything. And he, he called my agent and uh, and told, told him about this movie. And he just said, tell him to come to my office and we'll have a reading for him. And anyway, that's how it all started. And so I went red for the movie. Um, they sent me, they call them size, which, you know, dialogue. And I, and I memorized them. And I went and read for the movie in front of a, you know, little camera and some casting folks and thought I sucked, which I probably did. I know I did. But they called me back for another reading. This time I read in front of the um, the actual director and the producer and the casting folks and, some, you know, some of the big wheels. And, and, of course, I thought I sucked. But they called me, like, the next day and said I had the part, which was, like, shocking to me. And then they started sending out all the scripts and all the flight information and where I was going to be and how the shooting schedule was going to go. And uh, next thing I know, I found myself in Minnesota for three and a half months shooting this movie, trying to be, you know, learn, learning the ropes. That was your very first movie and acting experience you've ever had in your life, correct? That's right. Wow. That's was. impressive. Yeah. yeah they, they said I was a natural, which I, I actually don't believe one bit, but it was a lot of fun. And um, it was something I'll always remember, you know, the rest of my life, of course. And, uh, you know, every time the movie comes on, it's like I cringe at watching it, but <laughs> it's on. What What was that team like? Well, we talked about the chemistry of that 96 Rangers team. What was the, the chemistry of that little big league twins team? It was very good. You know, it was, it was a bunch of actors. All everybody did was drink every night. So <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody had to be in shape, right? Or, or actually go out and play baseball. So I, I was amazed at what actor, you know, that, that, that culture, how they, how they are. <laughs> they're, they're partying, let's put it that way. What was the ratio and, uh, of baseball players to actors on that team? Uh, well, it was just basically me and, and everybody else. Um, I was the only ball player, really. Um, but they, they did cast guys that, you know, that could play, right? They wanted to be realistic, so... Um, you know, they're, they're, everybody had played some some fashion of baseball. You know what I mean? Like we had Brad Leslie, who was actually in the major leagues. He's since passed on. Sadly, sad to say, he was such a dear friend of mine. Um, Scott Patterson was a pitcher in the minor leagues, um, and he turned out to be a good actor. Right? He, he was on Gilmore Gil- Girls and all that for a while. Was that Mike McGreevy? Yeah, McGreevy. Right. Got to throw um, the curveball. Jonathan Silverman, who. Um, is, I mean, he's, he's a decent athlete, right? But much better actor than he is an athlete. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Timothy Bus. Timmy. Timothy um, had a great swing, right? They were so they were able to cast him as as the lead, and and all they did was <laughs> close ups on his swing, right? And he had a nice smooth swing, but you know, he, he was so weak he couldn't hit the ball of the infield. Right? 
they did tight shots. They did tight shots on him with the swing, and then they widened the shot off. Somebody threw the ball over the fence. That kind of thing. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun watching how they do it. I, I was fascinated with uh, the cinematography, right? The, the, the cinematographer, a guy whose name was Donald Thorin, and he just won an Oscar for doing Sense of a Woman the year before. And so I sat there and picked his brain, right? When, when we'd shoot different scenes, you know, he'd be behind the camera and you know, explain exactly why we're shooting it this way. And I, I just found that all fascinating. It was it was a great experience, so I will say that. Who was the, at the time, I know Timothy Busfield's gone on and he's he's done a ton, you know, in a ton of stuff. And, you know, he's a, a big name and, and whatnot. But who, who was, at the time, the biggest name acting-wise on set? Um... I mean, was it him? Well, I, I, I guess I just, that I'm trying to like frame the timing of it with what people have done well, in the past. At the time be him, we also had Wolfgang Bodison, um, yeah. one of the players. He had just done A Few Good Men, right? And he was opposite Tom Cruise. That's right. Um, on that movie. And so he had just got off that, so he was hot, right? Um, John Ash was in the movie, right? From Beverly Hills Cop, Sergeant Taggart. And, um, but I would say, you know, Timothy and, and, and maybe even Silverman, you know, those guys were all pretty hot. Right. right. And then, I gosh, I mean, I, Hannah, I'm sorry. I, I could nerd out on this. I no, mean, this it's movie, a great I don't movie. Know, I, I don't, love yeah, it. I'm obsessed. It's a, the best. Okay. So I, the, the final game against the Mariners, what right. was that shot? I mean, how many people, I know a lot of times they can do a lot of stuff with the crowd and, and, but it was, I mean, was the Metrodome packed? What was like? What can you take us through that 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 final game uh, from yeah. the crowd to you know the the Mariners? You know, I guess a lot of guys were you know Dave Magadan was the hitting coach for the Rangers right. a few years ago, and I, I like literally I told him this I, I couldn't ever get out of my head no matter how many conversations I had with him. The scene you guys were in the clubhouse and Dave Magadan hits into the double play that sets up that you know final game and like I just but. You know, there's so many major league players that are a part of it. So what what was that final game like, uh, just that experience of shooting it and, and everything that, that was involved? Okay, well, everything was shot out of sequence, okay? Um, there's only one shot in the entire movie where, where there's actually the, the stadium was full. And one time, it's the very end of the movie when we walk out of the tunnel and, the, and um, little Billy waves his hat and we all surround him. And, and, and the camera pans the entire stadium. The entire stadium was absolutely full. With, and that, that was the last day of the regular season of the Twins. And we went out and we shot right before game time, right? And we told the fans, we on the microphone, told the fans what was going on, filmed to be all raucous and everything else um, so we could get this shot. And so that was the only time that the, that the station was full of fans. Every other time we had extras about maybe, I would say maybe a few hundred and we and they would be in the stands in the background of a shot. The rest of the stadium was completely empty. And then they had these cardboard cutouts all over the place, and they would kind of be in between all these extras, right? So that's how it worked. So every scene you see in the movie, there's nobody in the stadium except for some extras, except for that very final shot of the movie. Isn't that wild? That's, that's so crazy. crazy. I always wondered how they did that. Because it yeah. looks so full in the movie, and every single scene, it looks like there's just a full stadium, there's all these people. I, I, and I was thinking I to myself, did they have to find, you know, 20,000, 30,000 extras? Like, how would that process no. work? So No, there was, only, there was only a few hundred. I felt so bad for them because they would just move them around like cattle, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> so awesome. they'd be in the back. Uh, yeah. Okay. That's so, how that works. So, two of my favorites, I've referenced them already, but when Ken Griffey Jr. hits a home run and then winks at you round in the bases... And then he's right. got the whole, you know, I'm going to steal second, I'll steal third, I might even right. steal home, whatever. But then you guys get him with a hidden ball trick, and then you tag him, and then you wink at him. I mean, that was just like, there's something so cool for like a, a kid, there's something so cool about that. But what, you know, I, I know you were obviously a big league player at the time, so it, it probably wasn't the same for you interacting with Griffey as it was maybe for some of the actors who might have been baseball fans. But what was it like? I mean, he was, at that time, you know, I asked you about who were the, the, the big actors. I mean, he was, he had already, I mean, the name itself because of his dad, but like he was a big deal. What, what was it like with him and, and even Randy Johnson, who I think I had nightmares about from that movie, yep. like the, the music yep. they played in the background when he entered the game and just, right. you know, but what, what was it like working with those two guys? It was, listen, it was great, right? Um, Kenny was on the top of his game. He was, the, he was probably the best player in baseball at the time. And when he came, he only came, let's see, he came for a day. They all came just for a day, right? 
Um, and I think him and Randy Johnson were there maybe on the same day. Um, but, but when Kenny came, he, he took some batting practice and just put everybody in awe, of course. Right. <laughs> and and they, they finally got some, some shots, you know, from the movie for him hitting the home runs and such. But, um, when we did our wink scene, he was there quite a while cause he had a lot of stuff to shoot, but, um, Maybe he might have been there a couple of days when I come to think of it. But um, when we did the wink scene, um, we did it. And then, like, a couple of days later, they tell me that from they call them dailies where they, they, they shoot, they, they look at the, the footage, right, that night or the next day. And I guess they came out dark or something happened, and they had to call him back. So we had to do the wink scene a couple of different times on a couple of different occasions. And I, I'm not sure which one they used, but we did it a few times. But you know, I listen. I'd known Kenny for a while at the time, so we we were we got along real well. I said, "Now listen, when you when we do this wink, we got to be pissed off, you know." And, it, and we had a lot of fun with it. it, was, it, it like I said, we got to do it twice. So. I was gonna say, how many times did that scene take to get perfect? Did he try different winking eyes? Like, what was that process <laughs> like? <laughs> I remember, I know, I know we shot it three or four times. Um, I, but I, I don't. I wish I could recall that. But it wasn't that long. But we had to do it twice, right? Because he had to, had, to, had to fly him back like a week later. We had to do it again. It's always fun learning everything behind the scenes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was fun to be behind the scenes. You know, it was, it was, it was a joy. It was a lot of fun doing that. I, Kevin, I got one more little big league question for you. Because okay. I think that what connected people my age to the movie, in addition to the fact they were big leaguers, was that you have this kid managing a major league team and – you know, he knew the game so well and, and all this. And it was it was Luke Edwards who played Billy Haywood. Uh, what what was that dynamic like? I mean, he was so young, I imagine, at the time. I mean, I, obviously, he was young. I don't know how old he was specifically. But what do you remember about that dynamic? And, and how did it work with, uh, you know, this, this kid being around a bunch of, you know, men? Uh, and, and obviously, you know, he wasn't your manager. And, I, you know, I imagine when the scenes were not uh, being shot, it wasn't like he was – managing and bossing you guys around, but just what was that dynamic like of, of being around him and, and that whole process? Yeah. Well, you know, Luke was, Luke was a loner. Okay. So he had his mom with him on, you know, every day. And, um, he was like, when, when he didn't shoot scenes and didn't have scenes and, um, wasn't in uniform and all that, he, he was like a, like he wore Gothic stuff, right? He was kind of a dark, <laughs> dark withdrawn kind of kid. You know, he would, you know, he'd hide off in the corner. Just you know, he just he was he was very um he was very quiet. Whereas the other kids um that played his friends in the movie, they were so out, they were great. They would watch football with us, and they were just super outgoing and super fun. And Luke was a little withdrawn, um so it, I, nobody got to know Luke that well, right? Um, but boy, when the camera was rolling, he was fantastic, right? And do you keep up with any of these guys uh, from the movie at all? Or is it just kind of, you know, now that you can text and stuff every once in a while, were there any relationships that you still, I mean, you mentioned Brad Leslie, the late Brad Leslie, anyone else that yeah. you kind of really became close with? Yeah, I was close with Jonathan Silverman and, and John Ashton. Those are, and, and of course, Timothy Busfield. And I stayed uh, close for several years. He's, um, you know, he's, he, I haven't talked to him in a while now though, but yeah, I mean, you know, we stayed friends. For several years, but I but slowly but surely we've lost. You know, haven't talked to a lot of guys. I'm friends with Steve Nicolaitis, the producer on the movie. I talk with him all the time. So, but you know, um, like anything else, kind of fades away after a while. But I don't talk to anybody uh, much anymore. That's for sure. Well, that was so much fun. We have a few more little big league questions coming up for you after the break. In addition to our signature question, this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds you tell progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law Whataburger fans, what's going on? If you've been wondering what rich, creamy treat they're whipping up this summer, I have two words for you. Banana pudding. So the next time you spot a flying W, get going. Whataburger's all-new banana pudding shake is only here for a limited time. All right, Kevin, so one of the things we ask everyone who is a part of the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by our friends at Whataburger uh, is... 
about a rival who you didn't really have a relationship with, but you had a ton of respect for. And, and when I say rival, it doesn't need to be someone there was like animosity or, or uh, an adversarial relationship, but just, you know, maybe it was a, a, a competitor uh, on the diamond and, and you didn't really know that person and you guys went head to head, you know, a considerable amount of times. And you just, you always really respected them or admired them. Is there anyone who kind of jumps out to you who fits that category? Yes, yes. I would say all of the pitchers, but no. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a couple of pitchers that, that I, I just couldn't stand facing, and they just had my number. And one was, of course, Greg Maddox, and I think a lot of hitters can say that. And the other was Randy Johnson. Um, both guys I had nothing but respect for, um, but they were I just I could not get to them. You know what I mean? And so. So when those when those guys were slated to start or something, I always seem to have a headache or a cold and couldn't play. That <laughs> <game>. <laughs> do, do you remember? I, I got some numbers up here. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but there's one pitcher in your career you had uh, more hits against than than any other. Uh, do you? Could you name who that no. pitcher is? No, I have no idea. Zane Smith. Does that? Uh, oh my God. <laughs> There's a new, Yeah. Yeah. I owned it, didn't I, huh? You did, yeah. You hit over 400 against Zane Smith, and then uh, you were 10 for 27 with a couple of home runs in your career against Doug Drabeck. So uh, yeah, uh, those two guys probably were not very excited to, to see you in the box across from them. It's, it's funny because Drabeck was he was a Cy Young winner, wasn't he? He was a great pitcher. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, all those years in New York, you know, the, Pittsburgh was our rival, right? They were our big, they were our big you know, rival. And um, I just got up for those games, right? I don't know, something about Drayback. I, he, the ball, I saw the ball out of his hand really well. Um, but he was a great pitcher. So I'm proud to say I was able to hit him, huh? Yeah, him and, <laughs> and, and Oral Hershiser as well. You had a lot of success against. So, uh, I owned but... Oral. I don't, and Oral and I are really good friends. We played together in L.A. Um, and I always, I'm always ribbing him every time I see him. <laughs> Can we take some batting practice? <laughs> Love it. Well, we have lots of fans that are very excited to have you on the podcast today. So are you ready for some fan submissions? I sure am. All right. So let's start off with at it matters 91 on Instagram. Are you and Pat Corning the same person slash player? What was your experience playing him? <laughs> well, yeah, we are. I, I, I played myself, uh, although it said Corning on the, uh, on the back of my jersey. But yeah, I felt like we were the same person. So I just, I just went, went with that. That's awesome. Uh, at yeah. Stewart 7 on Instagram wants to know what your favorite moment as a Ranger was. My favorite moment as a Ranger was the very day we won the division. Um, that was the culmination of all that hard work we put in spring training and during the whole season. So that moment, and I think you see it in my face uh, during the, the celebrations in the clubhouse and stuff, um, that was my favorite moment, no that, doubt. That's got to be hard to beat. Uh, one more from yep. me. Steve Hughes on Twitter wants to know, did you ever imagine the 26-7 to game against the O's being topped and against the same team? Do you remember having yep. four hits in that game? I do. I, I, I can tell you the date of that game. That's how much I remember that game. That was April 19th. I remember that. Wow. Because, yeah, no, I just remember it because we were on such a roll. And um, we were playing Baltimore. And Davey Johnson was the manager of Baltimore. And, of course, he was my manager in New York. And then, eventually in LA and is a dear friend of mine as well. But I remember looking at him and we were, we were running up the score there in the eighth inning, the top of the eighth. We were, and, and I, I think I got a, an RBI single off Jesse Orozco, who was a former teammate. And we were just running up the score and we were just trying to get the game over with. Right. But nobody could get anybody out. And I come up again with the bases loaded and he brought in like an infielder to pitch. And I said, well, if you're going to bring an infielder, I'm going to swing for the fences. And, of course, the first pitch I hit a grand slam to top off. I think we scored 16 runs in that inning. Wow. In that inning? And, yeah. Oh, my gosh. In the top of the eighth, we put up 16. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know. I just really remember it because that was when we really flexed our muscles that night, right? And we really knew we were a force to be reckoned with. You know, and like I said, it was early in the season. It was April 19th. And I think that was a, a, a big moment for us, even though it was, just a, it was a blowout game. We all knew that every one of us could just, you know, destroy pitching in that league, and it was uh, it was fun. Kevin, I don't know if you remember this because I 
So I was, and I don't want to, I don't mean to date anyone. I was seven, I was about to turn seven years old. And I went uh-huh. to the game the very next day. I remember that because I, I remember thinking how ridiculous it was that the team, you know, scored 26. And, and I went to the game the next day and uh, the Rangers won again. Uh, but do you remember uh, Brady Anderson was in, I mean, that was a great year for him. Yeah. But he was in the middle of, I think it was four straight games in which he let off a home run. Do you, do you remember yeah. that at all? I do. I remember him. He hit 50 that year. Yeah. And he, he was a local guy from, from Southern California, too. And I, I just remember every time he let, every time we played him, it seemed like he let off with a home run. Honestly, he, he, he wore us out that year. And did, uh, did he hit a home run in every yeah. – uh, he must have. Yep. I, I just, but I just remember, like, like um, it was almost a forethought thing. Oh, it's going to be one nothing Orioles. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of figured it's going to be one nothing. <laughs> He's going to lay off the game with a home run. You know, we're down one nothing. Big deal, right? That's Kevin, I remember. do people ever tell you that you have an impeccable memory? Uh, no. <laughs> I feel like every but question, you just know every answer you remember, every moment. It's really fun to talk to you about those days. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm pretty good when it comes to dates and such. <laughs> we got a few more fan questions here, Kevin. This one from Matt right. Middleton on Twitter. He wants to know, what do you do with your days now? He said he, he's Googled you several <laughs> times, and uh, he's never been able to quite pin down what you're up to these days. Well, I'm, I'm hiding out. That's there why. you go. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. I'm hiding. No, I don't do a lot. I, I you know, um, I, I work out. I go to the gym. Uh, me and my fiance, we, Heather, we go. We, we work out. We go to the gym, and uh, we try to try to stay out of trouble. That's the best way I can describe it. When did y'all get engaged? Uh, just recently. Congratulations! That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. Are you involved in in baseball in any way at all, or uh, not not uh, not no. directly? Not, not really, not really. Um, I'm starting to do some television, uh, which is what I'm going to do here in, in the near future, hopefully very soon. I was doing some uh, pregame stuff with the Rangers last night. and um, I'm going to New York uh, to do playing an old – I can't believe I'm saying this – an old-timers <laughs> game. Um, I'm actually going to play in it in, in late August, and, um, and I'm, and I'm going to look to do some stuff with the Mets as well. So, um, so yeah, I'm looking to get back into the game. In broadcasting, one way or the other. Very That's cool. awesome. And then two yeah. more for you. Uh, one from Chev Chelios. He wants to know uh, if you would ever be interested in a little big league sequel, and has it ever been discussed about a potential little big league sequel? Oh my God! Yes, we. I would jump on it. Um, as a matter of fact, we have talked about it. Um, I just <clears throat> it would be it would have a completely different feel now, right? Um, it, but it was discussed, I would say, 20 years ago. But, I, you know, I, I think that ship has probably sailed, though. Maybe they'll listen to the podcast and think, hey, that's a great idea. Yeah. We should do it. Maybe. Let's do it. We should do it. I've always said we should play a game against the, the major league team, right? You know, to kind of you know, match those two movies together. I've always yeah. said we should do it. <laughs> That'd be awesome. And then the final one, this is from Dan G on Twitter. Uh, he wants to know, and, and you already shared one, but w- what's your favorite Johnny Oates story? Oh, Johnny, gosh. Um, well, I, I, honestly, my favorite story is, was that night in Detroit when he fired that folding chair across the room and flipped the food table and lost his temper. Um, that was probably my favorite Johnny Oates <laughs> <laughs> It's not a bad one. I. I remember when I was at USC, Chad Cruder was the head coach at the time, and we had a ping pong table with all sorts of you know pregame snacks and food on it, and uh, yeah. we got down like five nothing after the first inning to Washington State, and we should not have been down five nothing after one inning to Washington State. And uh, <laughs> uh, next thing you know, the ping pong table is broken, and the clubhouse carpet is. Uh, you got rice. We got trail mix we got uh i think we had like chicken breasts all over that was i guess that's i'm trying to think of like when i think of you telling that johnny oates story i think of chad cruder breaking our ping pong table and uh and and basically ma- making our clubhouse a, uh, a a cafeteria except uh the carpet was uh, the cafeteria tables i don't think that was the intention initially right the cafeteria from animal house right? yeah exa- there you go that's exactly. a huge bummer i feel like ping pong tables are such a key staple of clubhouses these days yeah, we, we lost our ping pong table. Actually, uh, a guy by the name of, of uh, Tommy Malone, Hannah, who 
uh, has pitched against the Rangers a number of times. He was the king of the king uh, the ping pong table, but uh, uh, he was not able to rule after that. We had to we had to wait till the next year to get a new ping pong table. Get a new ping pong table. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Those, those moments stay with you though, right? When they, when stuff starts just thrown around the room. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we really really appreciate it. I know you know for for both of us, such a treat. Uh, and appreciate you taking the time. So excited that you were able to come back here for 90s weekend at, at Globe Life Field. And uh, thanks for, for all you did for the Rangers organization back in the day. And uh, glad to see that you're still connected. And uh, uh, we really appreciate you joining us here on the Straight Up Texas podcast presented by Whataburger. Well, you guys, it's been my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun going down memory lane with you. I appreciate it. All right. Well, there you go. That's Former Rangers shortstop Kevin Elster, a huge part of that 1996 team that won the division. Uh, Appreciate you tuning in and uh, be on the lookout for more conversations. Uh, Blast from the past, Texas Rangers baseball, uh, alongside my co-host Hannah Wing, Jared Sandler, signing off. Uh, Until next time, thanks so much and have a great day.